Hello, all, and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, your weekly look at the IT news of the week. I'm your host, Rich Drafalino. I'm an editor with Gestalt IT. Joining me from across this great nation of ours, home as he always is, uh, joining the rest of us, is the one, the only Tom Hollingsworth. Tom, welcome to the show. Greetings, Rich. It's a wonderful Wednesday here in Corona land. Um, I believe this is March 573rd, according to my calendar. So of, of the good. second epoch. Yes, that is correct. Huh? Exactly. Uh, so uh, we're going to get this show started. Lots of stuff to cover. Not enough time to go in discussion detail and all this stuff. But we have a little segment just to cover that. It's a little something we like to call news or not. We're going to throw out the headline, maybe a little bit of context and get Tom's reaction. If it is, in fact, news or nah. First up, uh, we have some news from Microsoft. We had uh, a lot of news from them coming out with uh, Microsoft Teams. We talked about kind of going for a consumer version, which was an interesting move. Uh, <laughs> but now they've uh, announced that uh, they've updated Skype to allow people to join cross-platform video conferences and download Skype without an account. I did not realize you needed an account to download it, but I guess that's gone now. Microsoft also published a web page to allow anyone to start a free Skype meeting from any device from a browser with a full Skype feature set with a link that does not expire. Sounds uh, like a zoom in good time. Tom, news or not? Not really. This, this is Microsoft playing catch up. And I'll tell you how far they have to come because I wrote a little haiku based on a tweet that Phil Gervaisi had earlier today. <laughs> In a Skype meeting, missing features make me sad. This is just crazy. <laughs> well, it will have the full feature set, right? I mean, you'll have all of the Skypiness. I just don't trust a Skype web app since a Skype for business happened. So we will, but we will see. At least now they, you know, there's there's less reason to choose Zoom, I guess, if you're already, because Skype still has name recognition, even if it's not COVID-19 name recognition. Uh, next up here, Google is rolling back its same site cookie requirements that block most third-party cookies unless specifically set by the website you were on. The idea was to encourage sites to change their practices for more privacy uh, and avoid you know, third-party uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, data scraping and that kind of stuff. But with resources taken up with complications related to COVID-19, Google is giving sites uh, a little extra time to adapt. Rolling back same site cookies. News or not, Tom? news but only because i thought cookies were inevitable and we had to have them at least that's what the little pop-up down here tells me every time i <laughs> scroll in actually no no no. wait hold on it's not here it's here oh that's, and, but now that's the problem now it's now it's here oh my hands bigger. yeah okay yeah but but this this oh, okay great we're getting rid of some cookies that's wonderful get rid of all of them We'll get rid of all of the cookies. Although I have become like a connoisseur of the advanced panel in the cookie acceptance window. And I have been enjoying seeing some sites actually provide meaningful controls, but it's still annoying as heck. Uh, next up here, the Linux Foundation, you may have heard of them, is working with Data61, which is Australia's awesomely named national science agency, on a new security-first operating system kernel uh, called CEL4 or SEL4. SEL4, maybe, I think, is how we're going to go with it. This is a member of the L4 microkernel family, not the Linux kernel, in, very interestingly, and is mathematically verified as bug-free for operating systems designed with security in mind and tested in mixed real-time uh, operating systems. This is... a, a, a uh, theoretically is going to be put into a lot of embedded uh, uh, real-time uh, devices and stuff like that. The Linux Foundation will host a new SEL4 foundation and help deploy the microkernel in real-time embedded computing systems, as I mentioned. The Linux Foundation working on non-Linux kernels. News or not, Tom? 
this had to happen eventually because you can't beat that dead horse all the way into submission. <laughs> but here's the thing. Do you know why the Linux kernel has bugs in it? Because people are using it. I can give you a list of kernels that don't have bugs in them that are currently sitting on a shelf somewhere on old floppy disks. And guess what? The SEL4 kernel is currently mathematically proven to be bug free because it's mathematically proven there ain't nobody using it yet. Wait until users start writing things. I promise you, if you have a vanilla Windows installation with no hardware connected to it and no software installed on it, that sucker's bug free too. It isn't until you start putting <laughs> things on it that it starts blowing up. Yeah, the uh, the rubber has yet to meet the road, I guess, for SEL4. So, uh, uh, inter but interesting that the Linux, not that the Linux Foundation, I guess, is dogmatically like we only will do. We're, they're not like Microsoft in the '90s, like Windows on everything, Linux kernel on everything. Interesting to see them helping another kernel and microkernel, which I know Linus has had kind of a tortured history with. So interesting. Yeah. Uh, and not that Linus is synonymous with the Linux Foundation. Uh, next up here, Intel, Mozilla, and Creative Commons, an interesting triumvirate, announced they have joined the Open COVID-19 Pledge, which provides free licenses for patents, copyrights, and certain other property rights to anyone developing technologies for the diagnosis, prevention, or treatment of COVID-19. The licenses are backdated, effective December 1st, 2019, and runs until a year after the World Health Organization declares the COVID-19 pandemic to be over. While the pledge does not provide a specific license that like if you sign on with the with the pledge that you have to accept, it does provide some general guidance and recommendation on terms and Creative Commons. This you may be wondering why they're involved with this uh, says they're working to create a framework that allows the development of a diagn of diagnostic tools, treatment and preventative solutions uh, that people can adopt. So you don't have to write your own from scratch. And Creative Commons clearly has a lot of history um, when it comes to writing licensing terms. We've seen some kerfuffles over IP disputes with ventilator designs with people 3D printing them and we've seen you know uh, some people threatening legal action even in this uh time so news or not nah on licenses to fight COVID 19 tom it's news but mostly from the pr front this is this is a chance for companies like intel and mozilla to just get in front of the bug and say guess what if you're using our technology the license for our technology is free uh, it reminds me of uh a story from this the whole thing uh lavar burton host of reading rainbow and everyone's favorite chief engineer on the enterprise uh, wanted to read books online for kids as he used to do on Reading Rainbow. But as it turns out, you can't just read a book on a video without a copyright license for it. And Neil Gaiman jumped in on Twitter and was like, whatever you need, it's yours. Take any of my books, read anything you want. It's up to the license holders to free us to do the things that need to be done. And I, okay, I love that LeVar Burton wants to do this. I'm not saying that reading books to people over the internet is absolutely necessary, but this is something that's important. However, if you're the kind of person that is going to exert intellectual property rights in a case where someone is literally going to die without your technology, you are a ghoul of the highest order. So take a page from what they're doing and please, for the love of all that's holy, let us save people's lives. As someone who has trained his two-year-old to look at the copyright on every single children's book that he opens, I have read quite a few of those, mostly to find out what fonts they're using. And the, the draconian terms that they have there, it's like you cannot take a picture of this children's book. You cannot post this picture. And uh, an author, you know, just, just to kind of bring this up in terms of the weird licensing rights for books. Um, an author, a kid's author that I follow, John Clausen, basically put out a statement from one of his publishers. Uh, I think it was Candlewick Press that said um, – 
okay, you can stream it, but it can't be saved for replay. You can do a live stream, but like the, like, again, the terms, and you have to have the author's permission still to do it. it it's so bizarre that pe like you would put out a statement like that in that situation, but good to see that tech seems to be on board and kind of playing into that spirit of like, you know, you know, Tesla's making ventilators. Um, you know, they're they're trying like ev everybody just trying to pitch in and and try and and make some sort of difference. I appreciate that they're kind of taking care of the legal end of that as well, just to just to remove any kind of barriers of entry. I think is good. Yeah. I guess that was a mini discussion, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> to our first full discussion topic, we go. Last week, we talked about some of the security and privacy concerns that were coming out. We had all sorts of zero-day attacks when it, relating to Zoom. And kind of of those, and one of the big problems that we've been seeing consistently with Zoom and their public perception is probably Zoom bombing or joining a public uh, or joining some sort of Zoom conference uninvited and broadcasting disruptive content. Some people have done hate speech. Some just people have shown lewd images. Uh, and we're talking about with like schools, public meetings and that kind of stuff. And we've seen some reactions to that now uh, coming out of it. Uh, several school districts, including New York City Department of Education and the Clark County Public Schools in Nevada, I think there's an order of magnitude there, have banned teachers from using the platform as a result, while many others are reassessing its use and updating security practices, which arguably they probably should have looked at before they started using it. It's an emergency. We all get it. In a similar vein, Taiwan recently announced that it was forbidding governments from working uh, from government workers to use Zoom. This probably had something to do with Zoom announcing that they had accidentally routed some non-China calls through China. Uh, and this is made more problematic by the fact that they don't actually use end-to-end -end encryption. They use transmission encryption, which means a Chinese government could request to see the content of those calls theoretically. Uh, meanwhile, uh, a press release on the U.S. Department of Justice's website warned that federal, state, and local law enforcement will pursue charges for Zoom bombing, including uh, disrupting a public meeting, computer intrusion, you know, kind of the usual suspects uh, when it comes to that, but showing that they, you know, are willing to uh, to uh, put some uh, either fine or put some people in jail as a result of that. To combat the practice, Zoom itself announced that as of April 5th, passwords will be required to enter calls by meeting ID and turn on uh, the virtual waiting room will be done by default so that hosts can manually add call participants. So Tom, my question is this problem of Zoom, I mean, clearly a, a real thing. Like I've seen more than a few anecdotal uh, cases of people, you know, either friends or friends of friends that said, this has happened to me, maybe not something maybe not hate speech, but just an inconvenience to a meeting. You know, it, it wasn't like, uh, ups like upsetting to the soul, but, you know, supremely disruptive. Um, it seems like it's relatively simple to do with the way that Zoom was doing these meetings. Is this just a matter of Zoom scaled at a at a rate that they that no one could have predicted two months ago, and they're just living with the consequences of that now? Or is was this you know is this a bigger problem for Zoom? I guess. So it's a very loaded answer because. <laughs> We know that Zoom's been a little weird about things in the past. Everybody remembers the the web server that they installed or the fact that you could force video on remotely. Or, you know, there were other rumors about uh, attention tracking mechanisms that were built into the client or not being not having passwords enabled by default. Listen, listen, I get it. I get it. Um, here's the thing, though. Uh, Skype used to be broken horribly. WebEx used to be broken horribly. These things had to get fixed they had to get patched and most of these things did not go from having 5 million active users to 200 million active users in the span of two weeks i get it as a security professional these are things that should have been addressed before whatever as a pr analyst person bravo to zoom for fixing them in the span of like three days 
my wife is doing uh, school stuff online with Zoom because it's the only platform that A, doesn't buckle and B, is giving their product away to teachers. Bravo to them for that. But they are, they rolled a patch on like Saturday. So when they woke up on Monday morning, their meetings had passwords enabled by default. And that's a thing. It's not, we're going to give you the option to enable passwords on meetings because that's what it's always been. It's now your pass meetings have passwords by default. If you're an education user that's been upgraded or a free user, you can't have non-password protected meetings now. There's a lot of technical stuff behind the scenes, but basically Zoom made themselves a target because they're now the most popular platform that can sustain the most users and they are rolling in, you know, whatever. Now, I will tell you, they're trying really hard. How hard are they trying? They hired Alex Stamos today. And no, that's not Uncle Jesse. That's the guy from <laughs> Facebook who basically quit Facebook because he couldn't tolerate the fact that the platform was insecure. And he called out Zoom. And Zoom called him and said, want a job? And they they hired him. I, I, I believe that they are really trying. Now, ask yourself this question. Would any other vendor be this open about the failings has facebook ever been this open i mean apple might cisco might if you push them who knows who owns go to meeting right now is it still citrix yeah <laughs> we, we haven't heard anything about them oh wait i think i know why because nobody's using go to meeting for this well and this is maybe the first time or the the quickest use case of a company essentially going from an enterprise service where you the expectations are different you know like you 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 need that very like reliable uh, call quality and the ability to scale and stuff like that which it makes it very useful in this situation but suddenly becoming a consumer service that's uh, and again used by hundreds of millions of people um, i do think that that is a remarkably unique position to be in for zoom and to that effect you know kind of going along with with the hire as well um uh their ceo eric ewan announced that they were freezing all feature development for 90 days and basically just doing a code crunch uh on security and privacy issues uh, again now you could you could say why did they need to announce that they could just actually do that? And no one's going to complain that they don't get new features for the next three months. Or if you do, you need you check your priorities. Uh, that certainly is a bit of a bit of PR, but it's also them, I think, taking it seriously. And certainly it's in their business interest to do so, right? You don't want to be known as the company that blew mass connectivity for COVID-19, right? You 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 want to be able to parlay all of a sudden this sudden surge in popularity post um pandemic into you know into more business and stuff like that so they clearly have a business interest in doing so as well speaking of business interest tom let's talk about the u.s federal communications commission my my favorite of uh the federal commission sorry ftc better luck next time the u.s federal communications commission announced it will vote on a proposal to open the six gigahertz band of unlicensed wi-fi for unlicensed wi-fi use on april 23rd so coming up this would provide more than twice the bandwidth as the five gigahertz band supporting up to seven 160 megahertz channels at once fcc chair ajit pai has announced that he approves the proposal like he essentially rubber stamped and said he would vote for it uh, as of last year and the wi-fi alliance has already gone ahead and put up forth the wi-fi 6e designation for devices that support the band in January. We've started to see uh, uh, a number of vendors kind of coming out and having equipment that's going to be ready for this. So Tom, I mean, this is just a, on the 23rd, they're gonna vote to approve this and then we're gonna be living in the six gigahertz world. What does that mean, I guess, for the for the world of enterprise specifically, um, you know, wireless? 
so yes, you're right. This lot of good press because they've essentially opened the entire band. Um, that's good. And there are a lot of people who have put in a lot of work to make that happen. And bravo to all of them. I don't have any love lost for Ajit Pai and some of the decisions that he's made. I think he made a good decision here, but I also think that there were a lot of people pressuring him to make a good decision here. The good news is, is that having an entire spectrum all to yourself in this way means that we're gonna have less contention for devices. It means we're gonna have better coverage. It means we're gonna have faster throughput. It means that we are going to have an overall better wireless experience. Go into Best Buy, Walmart, box store, what have you, and see those little stickers that say gigabit Wi-Fi or, or better coverage or whole home Wi-Fi or whatever you wanna call it. We're gonna have more things that are like that. So we're not gonna have the junk bands that are eaten up by microwaves or radar or what have you. Um, there's some issues with satellite coverage, but thanks to the folks at Aruba and specifically Chuck Lukashevsky, who joined Twitter, by the way, because of this. Wow. If nothing else, the FCC deserves kudos for getting Chuck on Twitter. Chuck underscore <laughs> Wi-Fi. You should follow him. Um, there's some issues with satellite, but Chuck and the team at Aruba actually did a, a, an extensive thing to figure that out. And basically, if you're living too close to a satellite downlink station, you're inter you might get some interference in the 6 gigahertz band. You also uh, may grow a third arm, but that's neither here nor there. Um, it's, it's exciting, and there's a lot of potential, and there's a lot of great things that can grow from this. It's going to take 18 to 24 months. I mean, yes, there are already 6E capable clients that are out there, 6E capable devices that are out there. This is not going to turn your house into, uh, you know, terabit Wi-Fi tomorrow. So take it with a grain of salt. But I like having options and I like having capabilities. I don't necessarily know that this was a magnanimous decision on the part of the FCC. I think this was bowing to pressure from companies that really wanted the spectrum opened up. Uh, and as Anders uh, Nilsson uh, notes uh, in our chat, Chuck rules. So, you know, I, I, who am I to dispute that? Um, so thanks for that comment. Thanks for watching. Um, yeah, it, it seems like this is a case where uh, just all the stakeholders, like the stakeholders lined up and said, we want the six gigahertz and there just weren't like enough. And there was obviously no not a lot of public interest to to cause any kind of kerfuffle around that. And that seems to be usually where um, there may be like a, uh, a split decision or something like that. So it seems like, yeah, we're, we're, we'll see that happening uh, on the 23rd. So good to know the timeline for that and the implications. I'm just hoping that my uh, Alexa doesn't stop streaming music when I turn up my microwave now. So that would be nice. And finally, here uh, on the show today, I want to talk about something new. You know, the, the COVID-19 pandemic has had a big impact on how people are using the Internet. You know, we've seen streaming services downgrade uh, their services to uh, to free up more bandwidth, even as more people are watching them. And now um, we've been seeing some other industry responses. Amazon, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Akamai, Cloudflare and Netflix, among many others, have signed on to the Mutually Agreed Norms for Routing Security or Manners Group and enough to shore up Internet routing security. The group pushes for the use of filtering, anti-spoofing, coordination, and validation to help reduce the ability to execute route leaks and other routing-related exploits. Signing up means the companies will have – it's completely voluntary. There's like no uh, – I guess there's no incentive for signing up. And by signing up, you agree to have your routing practices audited by the group with occasional spot checks if there are reported issues. So, Tom, can you provide some context for – 
uh, maybe what exploits are out there for, you know, uh, for internet routing that may be exacerbated given that everyone is online suddenly all at once and the significance of having basically, you know, the entire hyperscaler set kind of coming on board and saying we're going to be part of manners. Okay, so let's get back to the uh, the conversation we had earlier about what happens when a call, say a Zoom call, accidentally gets routed through uh, another country for a few minutes. Um, so your data goes somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. So the short, short version is, is when packets go from here to Ohio, they may not go through Ohio. They may not, they, they may take a different path. They may go through Chicago. They may go through Atlanta. They may go through, I don't know, Havana. That's up to the internet route, whatever is the best route path today. Uh, there was actually an incident last week where for about 25 minutes, something on the order of 300 autonomous systems, I think it was 300, was routed through Russia for 20 minutes. Now, guess what happens when 20 minutes worth of 300-ish systems data gets dumped into Russia? Well, you don't see anything, especially if it happens in the middle of the night. But they can collect all of that data. They can tap it and store it and do all kinds of fun things with it. This is a huge problem because BGP doesn't check for these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. You can configure it to pretty much do anything else. And as long as you're saying I'm the best path to go wherever, you will pick that path. Now, you can figure out that your traffic went somewhere it wasn't supposed to, but you have to figure out how to get it to stop going there. You have to blacklist the AS. You have to change the path costs. You have to make that path less optimal for one thing. Ultimately, I like this idea, but because it's completely voluntary, you're going to have a hard time getting people to sign on to it. Okay, great. There's a couple of people that have signed on and said, um, yeah, you know what? You guys can take a look at my routing, things like that. I want to see this actually work. I want to see a guy from Google show up over at Facebook and be like, hey, spot check on your edge routers. Yeah. You can get laughed out of the building. <laughs> it's a great idea in theory. Mm -hmm. In practice, I think what this is, is it's just a little sticker you can put on your website. I am encouraged to see like uh, like a company like Netflix where, you know, obviously like Google, Facebook, Microsoft, they have their own like giant footprint at, and Amazon as like cloud providers. Right. So they have their that that unique footprint. But, you know, Netflix, a company that either has uh, uh, CDNs or is working with other CDNs and stuff like that, like theoretically, they could put pressure on those organizations, you know, kind of make sure their routing practices are in, are in store. And I think that is, and, you know, and a company like Cloudflare, certainly, um, you know, uh, they know a thing or two about routing. Uh, so it is, you know, I, I think it's an interesting spectrum of companies that are at least signed on. I do hope it's more than just a sticker that says, hey, we have we have good manners and here's a punny blog post that announces that we're joining this this group or something like that. You're right, though, until this becomes something with a little bit more where you're, you're putting something at stake by joining other than here's some routing data. Um, I do I do worry that that would be the case, um, uh, given, though, you know, we're living in a, a new world, as we like to say. Um, we will we will see if it, it turns out to be a little something more. Speaking of a little something more, that's how I like to describe you, Tom. Uh, and thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, truly, truly appreciate it. Uh, where can people you know, find more of your great work if they're so inclined? Well, as it turns out, when you have a whole lot of extra time to send emails and type things, you get really good at typing, which means oh. you get really good at writing, which means I have a <laughs> lot more posts coming out on gestaltit.com. Yay. So head over there. Um, I'm talking about networking. I'm talking about security. I even wrote a post that will be out later this week about disaster recovery, because how could we have known that was a thing? Hmm. 
Uh, yeah, who would have who would have ever guessed that uh, disasters w- would strike? Um, so uh, looking forward to that. I'm uh, kind of working on the other side of that for gestaltit.com as well. And I was just doing a webinar on cloud disaster recovery uh, with Commvault. So if you want to head on over to commvault.com slash webinars, you can check that out on demand. Uh, we just streamed that uh, with uh, Chris Williams, uh, and that was a really fun conversation. So check that out as well. We'll be back next Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time uh, on YouTube, live on YouTube. Uh, recorded in Facebook and all the other mediums that you will come to know and love it. Uh, Until uh, then, uh, for myself, for Tom Hollingsworth, for everyone here in the Gestalt IT family, thanks for watching the Gestalt IT Rundown, and here's wishing you and yours to have a super sparkly day.